This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. All right. Well, who's ready to have some church tonight? All right. Well, that sounded convincing. Okay. I said, who's ready to have a little church tonight with me? All right. Praise God, man. I'm telling you, I, I just love to be in the house of the Lord. And, you know, our family and Katie and with her dad passing this past week, we've had a lot going on and stuff. But tell you what, my girl found she was in the house of God this morning, all the way out there in Indiana, serving God, doing her thing. She doesn't skip. And uh, and we're here tonight doing our thing in the house of God, and God's got a word for you. And he laid something on my heart this afternoon. It was kind of started by some things that my dad said this morning, kind of kind of just uh, kind of got something going on the inside of me. But the title of the tonight is this: Quit looking back to the world. Quit looking back to the world. Now, I want you to listen up and pay attention. In the Old Testament, God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Are you familiar with that story? Okay. So God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now, Egypt, while they were there, they hated Egypt. They were miserable in Egypt. They were beaten. They were treated wrongly. They they hated life. Every day they, they hated it. And who wouldn't? They were slaves for 400 years. That's several generations of Israelite people that they were forced to make the pyramids, man. They, they were beaten in the middle of the Sahara Desert. They were treated awful. It was a super bad thing. While they were in Egypt, they despised Egypt. They hated everything that there was to hate about Egypt. But the weird thing was, is after they were free people, after a while, they started looking back and saying, you know, Egypt wasn't really that bad. I mean, you know, uh, you remember the good old days? You remember how it was back in Egypt? And they started looking back to Egypt, back to the world that they came out of after they were freed. Now, make no mistake about it. When we refer to Egypt, we're talking to a place of bondage, fear, abuse, torture, sickness, disease. I mean, poverty. Egypt represented every bad thing that you can imagine. And all of us have at some point come out of our own Egypt, haven't we? We've all been to Egypt, and I, and I know so many people that have been delivered from Egypt. And as a New Testament Christian, God's brought you up out of the world. I know so many of your amazing testimonies here tonight, but he's delivered you from a place of bondage, sorrow, sin, depression, poverty, disease, just an absolute horrific life, so many of you, that God has brought you out of. Now, the thing that I've seen with so many Christians over the time is definitely this, is that no matter how dramatic the testimony sometimes, I eventually see people start looking back to Egypt, looking back to the world and saying things like, man, I know I don't do that anymore, but those were the days right there. Those were the days? If you had died, you would have been in hell to this very minute. Oh, man, I tell you what. I, back in the day, I could put some down, bro. And I wouldn't now, but man, those, when Christians say that to me, I just get holy indignation with them. I'm like, you fool. 
do you know what you're bragging about right now? Boy, I was a brawler, bro, man. I could, I could, I'm telling you what, I wouldn't do nothing, but I could just straight up. I'm like, you look like an absolute fool to me right now, bragging on how stupid you were. That, and, and, and here you, you're, you've been delivered from Egypt, yet you're looking back to how, I mean, those were the days. Those weren't the days. You were a slave. Your life was awful. You've been called out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light of his dear son. You've been delivered. There's nothing in Egypt that you left. There's nothing in Egypt that you need to go back and get. You have been delivered. Quit looking back to the world. And so I want to show you something tonight, starting in Isaiah chapter 30. Let's flip over there. Isaiah chapter 30. Now, I realize uh, Sunday nights, you're preaching to the choir. I understand. We've got the good boys and girls that always show up on Sunday nights, and I understand that, and I'm not just saying that. I mean, Sunday nights are like people that are really, you, you take this God thing serious, am I right? I mean, you're not playing around. You could be watching Sunday night football. You could be watching Dancing with the whatever they are. I mean, I'm, I can't stand Hollywood. But anyway, those people... And what do they have now? They have people dressed up in these masks singing songs. you got to guess who it is. Boring. Anyway, so Isaiah chapter 30. And I want to look at a few things here. And this is more exciting to me than any anything that Hollywood has to offer. I mean, just getting the word of God in your heart, bro, that, that will absolutely do something. So Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 5, it says, What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Bad boys and girls. Look at this. You make plans that are contrary to mine. Yeah. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. So you better check out who your alliances are with. Are they with godly people or are you making alliances and dealings and relationships with people that are not godly? Now, this is more for the Internet crowd than you sitting here. But I mean, don't look. You don't have to look at me in that tone of voice. Just just get listen. Just follow me. okay? he says this is piling up your sins. Verse two. For without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt for help. What? You didn't even consult God, but you went to Egypt to get help? You have put your trust in Pharaoh's protection. You have tried to hide in his shade. But by trusting Pharaoh, you will be humiliated. And by depending on him, you will be disgraced. And there's a lot of good Christian people that they turned to Pharaoh for help. They turned to the world for help and for answers. After they'd already been delivered, they went looking back to Egypt, looking back to the world. And God's saying, you're, in the end, you're going to be absolutely humiliated. You had no business as a child of God going to the world, going to Pharaoh, going to Egypt to get your help. And you didn't even talk to me about it. I mean, come on, man. That is some shame right there. That is, that's some bad stuff. Verse 4, for though his power extends to Zoan and his officials have arrived in Hanes. I know what you're thinking. That is not the underwear. That's just. The Bible's really more about fruit. So we could debate that he's a fruit of the loom guy. But anyway, so I apologize. But they did arrive in Hanes. They did arrive in their Hanes. And verse 5 says, All who trust in him will be ashamed. He's not going to help you. Instead, he will disgrace you. 
Now, how often have we seen that? That a child of God looks to the world for help and really, they didn't want to help you. The devil didn't want to help you one bit. He may have promised, yeah, get over, we'll help, we got you. We got you. We've got what you need. Just come on over here. A child of God goes to the world for help. They didn't help you. They disgraced you in the end and made you look bad. And they didn't. I mean, have you seen this like I've seen this over the years? That's not the will of God for God's children. We are to look to him for everything. Right. I mean, that's not a controversial. I'm not I'm not going too far out on a limb to say this, that he's the one we should go to, not to Egypt. Not to the world. Now, this is for somebody tonight. And so I want to pray and then I want to get into a few things here. But, man, there's some good stuff in God's word about this. This is there's some dynamite we're going to look at here for a few minutes tonight. And you probably already know it, but I just want to encourage you with it and and remind you of how good your life is. Who knows that you've got a really good life? I mean, I seriously, I. People ask me, how are you doing? And I'm, I, I'm not trying to be funny, but like, I'm doing fantastic, man. I love my life. And you guys should too. Our lives are incredible, man, compared to what they used to be. Think of where you were a few years ago at this time, where you were so, I mean, my gosh, your life is good. You ought to be shouting and dancing and, and I mean, just thanking God for how incredible your life is right now. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, so much that you have delivered us, Lord, that you've set us free, that there is nothing in this world that can hold us back when we're doing things your way. And so, God, I pray tonight that as we study the scripture, we look at your word, that you'll you'll show us some things, Lord. You'll get our attention, Lord. You'll you'll remind us of how blessed we really are. And may we never, ever, ever, ever look to Egypt for help. May we never ask Pharaoh for money. May we never, ever, ever turn our back on you and disgrace you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. So we're going to look at a few areas tonight that I see in general people uh, turning to the world for and help. And I, I, I like to think I've got a pretty good pulse on the body of Christ in general. I've got a, I've got a lot of friends from East Coast to West Coast and uh, you know, just from over the years and even in different countries and stuff. And so I, I, I kind of have a pretty decent pulse and uh, and and uh, and look at, at what the body of Christ in general, generally speaking, their patterns and the things that they do. And so one area that I see God's children going to the world for advice and looking back is for advice, for advice. And and there is no way in the world that I'm going to go to some heathen sinner and ask them for parenting advice. Ask them for marriage advice. Ask them for financial advice. I don't want their opinion on my... Now, a good Christian person, I'll listen, yeah, all day long. But I'm talking about go and ask someone in Egypt what I should do with my life. And they don't even know God. Isaiah 30, verse 1, we just looked at it. I'm going to read it in the Living Bible this time. And I don't think we have that back there. So, But listen to what it says in the Living Bible. It says, Woe to my rebellious children, says the Lord. You ask advice from everyone but me. Wow. Oh, wait, we do have the Living Bible. Good job. It says, You ask advice from everyone but me and decide to do what I don't want you to do. 
You yoke yourselves up with unbelievers, thus piling up your sins. And so, and, and I mean, that sounds far-fetched. If you're like a real, true disciple of Jesus, that's nearly mind-blowing to hear God say that, my child, you, you're, you ask everybody for advice but me. But I know a lot of Christians like that. That that's that some of you can't even comprehend that. But I'm I'm serious. There are people that are Christians that they're going around asking everybody for advice but God. And God's I mean, what does that do to God's heart? Like, what's wrong with me? Why don't you care what I have to say? Don't you care what my opinion is on this topic? And it says that 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 they decide to do what he doesn't even want them to do. Now, that's not again, not putting down on people, but that's not how a believer should be living their life. And this sounds so elementary and so basic, but this is just factual that there are a lot of God's children that they don't even ask for his opinion on on anything. I mean. We have got to get this down that his opinion obviously matters than anybody else's. Would you agree with that? Is that that's not I mean, I don't think that that's too much of a stretch right there that we're asking other people what their opinion is on all sorts of stuff when really his opinion is the one that counts. And that's how a lot of Christians are. I want you to look at Psalm chapter one. If you're familiar with Psalm one, you know exactly what I'm doing right now. Psalm chapter one. Verses 1 through 3. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. And I'm telling you, this is, this is not deep, but this has to be a good reminder for a whole lot of us that I do not want your advice if you don't even serve God. And I mean, better, worse yet, somebody that wears the title of Christian or, 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 or claims to be a Christian but doesn't serve God at all, my favorite is people that know so much. Oh, they know all about the Bible. They are a student and a disciple, but they don't believe in going to a church. I mean, people are, they're, they're a blast to be around. You know anybody like that? They are, they are just a party going somewhere to have, they're great. No, they're not. They're horrifically annoying because somebody that, that, oh, I don't, I mean, I, I, we, I do church at home. I, I do me. And I mean, I, I was in food for several years ago and, uh, some wacko that he had, he had, he had come here a long time ago anyway, but I'm blessing him. He's not a, not a bad guy, but just, just one, one of these type of guys that, you know, he, he doesn't need church cause he just, Hey, he knows it all himself. So praise God for him. I'm going to catch up to him. He's a, I mean, if he knows more than that's awesome, but we're in the store and, and Joel's a little guy and, my kids have always just assumed that everybody in the world goes to church because why wouldn't you? It's awesome. And so he, he asked, he's like four years old, I don't know, and he's like, you know, where do you go to church? And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> we opened up that can of worms with this guy? <laughs> and so the guy's like, well, son, let me tell you, I don't go to a church because I am the church. And he starts going, I'm like, oh, I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. No. And anyway, I, you know, I got I, I'm pretty good at getting out of situations like that and just like, you know, grabbing a jug of milk and walking backwards and so, somehow getting a, so the green beans are calling us somewhat. You know what I mean? And so but, you know, there's weirdos like that. And then they want to tell you how to live their your life. I'm like, I don't want to hear a thing that you've got to say, man. Get away from me. Get away from my kids. You're a mess. So Psalm 1, 1 through 3, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. 
Are you having a joy problem lately? You don't you don't have any joy. You're always in a bad mood. You're nasty and grouchy. You always got something going on. Well, one reason that it could be is that you follow the advice of the wicked. I'm not saying that that is the reason, but I can tell you this much. Somebody that does not follow the advice of the wicked, it says that they have joy. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord. What's the law of the Lord? That's the word of God. They don't need your advice. They've got a Bible. No wonder they've got joy. And so it tells us right there. Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked. They delight. They love the word of God. They meditate on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. So I'm telling you, does that sound like the type of life that you would like to live? Having joy, prospering in literally everything that you do, bearing fruit each season, your leaves never wither. I mean, you're planted right there with your roots and the river. That's the type of life that I want to live. And I can tell you one definite way to guarantee I'm not going to have that life is to stand around with sinners, join in with mockers, and take the advice of ungodly people. That guarantees that I'm not going to have joy, that I am not going to be a tree planted by the riverbank, and that I'm not going to prosper in everything I do because the Word of God very plainly says that right there. I mean, I'm not adding to this. I'm not taking away. I'm not embellishing on this. It's literally what the Word of God says. And so maybe if you don't ever have any joy, maybe if your leaves are withering, it could possibly be either standing around with mockers, standing around with sinners, or taking the advice of the wicked. That's something for you to think about. And I was thinking about, you know, different people that have taken really bad advice and then paid the price for it later. And I've shared, I've, I've shared, I've got two examples I'm going to give, and I have shared these before, but... The first one that I that I that I want to share is the story of a man named William Orton. Uh, he was the owner and president of the Western Union, the main telegraph company in the United States in the 1870s. He was he was the president. He was the owner. And at that time, I mean, the telegraph, that was that was the premier system of communication in the United States, right? I mean, it, it was it was it was amazing at that time the technology that was the iPhone of the 1800s uh, sending a tele that was awesome stuff right there. And so one day a guy comes to Mr. Orton with a crazy new invention of his that he wanted to sell his patent on. This man's name was Alexander Graham Bell. And so he had invented this new little device called the telephone not the telegraph, the telephone. And he's like, I I don't have the money to keep going with this, but I'll sell you the patent and everything I've got for $100,000. And I mean, that was a lot of money at the time. But listen, the Orton goes to his advisors, his counselors, and it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think of this thing? And they're like, <laughs> something like that. They laugh. And they they said, no, kick him out. This, is a, this guy in his 20s, what a loser. Get him out of here. And so he comes back and he tells him, your invention has no commercial possibilities. What could my company make of an electrical toy? 
So Bell kept his little patent and went on and released the telephone. And to this very moment, it is the single most valuable patent in the history of the world. There has never been a patent that has been more valuable than this patent that Alexander Graham Bell had. This guy could have had it for $100,000. Just think of how many billions and trillions and zillions of dollars the phone industry has to this day. But his advisor said, no, that's junk, man. Get that kid out of here. Another one, and kind of, and I've shared this, but in a little bit more recent history, uh, does anybody remember uh, this company that we loved in the 90s on Friday nights? Blockbuster. Blockbuster. Amen. You remember that? Yeah, we'd go and we'd, we'd either get us a VHS, guys like me and Josh, we'd get games for our uh, PlayStation or our Sega, our Sega, our Super Nintendo. And so we'd go out, man, and Blockbuster was the place to be on a Friday night. And so in the year 2000, a man named Reed Hastings approached the CEO of Blockbuster and offered to sell him his new company called Netflix. <laughs> He's like, I've got this company. We're starting to take off, uh, but we got a long way to go. He offered to sell the entire everything of Netflix at that time for $50 million, which, again, to us sounds like a lot, but in the business world, not a lot. And so uh, the Blockbuster guys, they got together, and they're like, nah, we'll pass. Sorry. I mean, look what we've got going here. We've, we've got Sega games. We're written VHSs off the charts, man. We got, And so whatever the case was. They're like, no, we, no, t- get your games out of here. And so, obviously, today, Netflix is worth over $100 billion. B, $100 billion, And Blockbuster is worth $0.00. They're completely bankrupt. They don't exist. They have one location in the remote village of Alaska. But anyway, other than that, Blockbuster doesn't exist. They're gone forever. And yet these guys, they could have, they, they could have bought Netflix up and just completely squashed this and still been around. But bad advice can definitely sink your ship. And I, you know, those are silly examples, but what I'm telling you is this, as silly as a video thing is, I would sure hate to get the wrong advice on my marriage from some stooge that I work with. That's either never even had the guts to marry the girl that he's with. Come on, put a ring on that finger, you know. Or, uh, you know, maybe he's on his second, third, fourth, fifth. Maybe his wife and kids hate his gut. But I'm going to I'm gonna let him speak into my life regarding marriage and family. Not a chance in this world, man. You take a hike. I don't want nothing that you got to say. And and so I'm telling you right now, or, or even worse. Let's, we, we opened this earlier, but think about the the people in Hollywood and on movies and and all this and we look to their lives and you really think that they're a just because somebody is worth hundreds of millions of dollars and they've got Oscars and Grammys you think I want their advice on anything I don't want their political views I don't want their marriage views I don't care what they got to say about kids I certainly don't care what they got to say about spirituality and faith but yet they think because they're rich and famous that their opinion must matter more. Just because you can hit a baseball or dunk a basketball does not mean that you're an expert on life. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. And so what I'm telling you right now is this, is that don't follow the advice of the wicked. 
Amen. Thank you. Okay. And so a child of God, you know, I'm just, hey, putting this out. A child of God has absolutely zero reason or excuse for turning to this world for advice. Yes. Thank you. So no reason to turn to this world when every answer that we need is right here. Every answer, every answer. Are you, but, but what about stuff that wasn't even a bit? The answer's right here, friend. Every answer that you could possibly need is right here. Honest truth. And we've got to remember that. And so one area that we see God's children turning to Egypt for help in is advice. What about for provision? Number two, what about for their provision? Well, Exodus chapter 16, let's flip over there. Because God, as a father, takes his job of fathering and parenting very, very seriously. I mean, what dad wants to be known as a bad provider for his children? Certainly not God. What what dad would just love for his kids to never, ever need to come to him for any advice? Well, I don't know of one. We want our kids to come to us, and God wants his kids to come to him. So Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 3. Now keep in mind, man, God delivered them from slavery and everything else. Exodus 16, verse 2, it says, There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Think of those carbs, man. Come on. And, and they're, they're thinking about this. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Well, excuse me for delivering you from slavery. You don't have anybody beating you and kicking you around anymore. You're not making somebody else's statues and pyramids but you don't like the way that the meat tastes out here. My goodness, excuse me for delivering you and setting you free and saving your life. Seriously. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I, we see people that God delivered them, saved their life from destruction. But I'll tell you what, back in the day, man, we, we had it like this. I'll tell you what right now. Shut up, man. You were a slave. You were a slave. You're not, you're free right now. And so they're sitting here talking about all this. And I'm telling you right now, the problem that they had was they saw and they received the Lord as their deliverer, but they didn't see God as their provider. So a lot of you, a lot of us, we have, we see God as being our source in certain areas. Oh, he's my savior, no doubt about that. What am I going to do about all these bills? Or, man, I'm sick. What am I going to do about this signal? What am I going to do about these kids? What am I going to do about... And, 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 and there's an issue right there. You need to not only see the Lord as your savior, you need to see him as your all in all. He's your provider, your healer, your peace giver, your counselor, your comforter, your advocate. He, you got to see God as being the whole package, not just saying, well, I know he saved me, man. Hallelujah for that. Praise God. That's a great thing. 
But you need to not be like the children of Israel. They only saw God in one dimension. They they saw God as being, yeah, oh yeah, he's a deliverer. I can testify to that. What are we going to do out here, man? We don't got nothing to eat. Well, what are we going to do out here? Well, this is happening. And, and, and Moses had to get them to see, man, guys, listen. He's not just a one-trick thing, man. He is everything. You can take everything to the Lord. And we all know that, but we don't all do that, do we? You need to start seeing as he is not just your Savior. He is your healer, your provider. Your, he is everything. And if you don't see that, if you don't get that revelation, you're going to be tripping over stuff in your life that you don't need to be tripping over anymore. You're going to, there's going to be some stuff that's, that's giving you fits. There's going to be some stuff that's stealing your joy, some stuff that's holding you to the ground. And until you really see Jesus as being your all in all, your one stop shop, he, the everything that you need, you're not going to live the victorious life that he has called you to live. Can I get an amen at least on that point right there? And so verse four, verse four, down here to verse four, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Come on, man. Yeah. Food from heaven. Yes. He said each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And so the people, they're like, man, we don't get the food that we want. And so God's like, all right, listen, I'll just I'll I'll deliver it to you. I will rain food down. And so we know that God caused manna to appear every single day. And not only that, he caused quail to run through their campsites every single day. They had fresh meat. Every day, you just got to catch your little quail. You know what I mean? Boom, boom. Take care of it. Pull those feathers and cook it up, man. Every day they had fresh meat, fresh bread. And God said, the only thing is don't save the leftovers. Throw whatever you don't use, throw it away. And I'll just deliver a fresh batch in the morning. You don't need to eat leftovers. You don't need any of that. Just every day, throw away what you don't use and I'll bring more in the morning. What kind of a deal is that? Come on. And yeah, they, uh, we know that that still didn't end up being good enough and they still turned to complaining. But I want to show you something here in Proverbs 10 verse 22. Proverbs 10 verse 22. Proverbs 10 verse 22. So God's raining down food on them every day. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to go hunting. They don't have to bake bread in the oven. They don't have to get up early. It's just there, a fresh supply Every day they don't deserve it. They didn't earn it. They I but God's doing it anyway by his grace, by his mercy. And this brings us to Proverbs 10, 22. And this right here, man, this is it. Proverbs 10, verse 22, it says the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. In Egypt. You may have had a bunch of meat. You may have had all this stuff, but you had the sorrow to go with it, didn't you? And so these guys are out here complaining about, man, we had all this food back there. Yeah, and you were getting beaten to a pulp every day, building pyramids for Pharaoh. Did you forget about that? That somehow slipped your mind when you started thinking about the food? And so I'm trying to, I'm just, I want to get this across. You have a great life. 
compared to where you used to be. You may not be where you want to be just yet, but as we keep saying, I may not have arrived yet, but I've left. I'm on my way. I'm getting there. I am not where I used to be. And I'm telling you right now, you may not, maybe before you got, before you got saved, maybe you made more money. Who cares? What good's money do you in hell? Man, that paper burns up fast. Highly flammable. That's just, it's out of here. You know, maybe, uh, well, back then I had more respect. People, man, who cares about that when you're in hell? Nobody respects somebody in hell. Well, back in the day, man, we, we had all this. We, we could do this, this, and this. Who cares? You were a slave. You thought you looked cool, but the rest of us saw how stupid you looked. You didn't look that good. Honestly, you didn't, you weren't that hot as hot as you thought you were. You really weren't that good. Listen to me right now. The blessing of the Lord will make you rich. It'll make you satisfied. It'll give you peace, joy, love, healing, provision, fulfillment, and there's no sorrow to go along with it. It's just yours. Amen. And so I like something Gloria Copeland said. She said, the world will lend it to you, but God will give it to you. You may look back to Egypt. Yeah, well, come on. We got, we got, we'll help you out. You just come over, you just, uh, at, at a 55% interest and give us your kids, your wife and your house and the farm. And yes, we will, we would love to help you out because that's how good we are. You go to God and God says, you know what? I'll give it to you, man. You're my child. I'll just give it to you. Just, just be patient. Just believe me and trust me. I'll give it to you. No strings attached. No sorrow with it. Why would I want to go to Egypt and play by their rules and be subject to their laws and their way of life when I could just go straight to the Father and He'll give it to me and add no sorrow with it? That's pretty good news right there. That's the good news of the gospel. There's no sorrow to go with it. And so the blessing of the Lord, it'll make you rich with no sorrow added to it. Don't look to Egypt to be your provider. And I've said it and I'll say it again, that you better not see your employer as your provider. That is simply an avenue that God uses to get provision to you. If the whole place burns up and is never there again, God will get it back to you. God will still take care of you because they weren't your source anyway. That's just one source that God can use them. God is using them to take care of their needs, but you better watch out that you don't see them as being your provider because they're not. God is your provider. What if you've worked for Blockbuster? Yeah. They're not not here no more. So listen, they could be gone, but God's not going to be gone. He ain't going anywhere. He is not going anywhere. You need to see him as your provider. And he always comes through. And so the third thing I want to say tonight is this. Talking about what I'm not going to look to the world for. I'm definitely not going to them for any advice. Because they're screwed up. And then I'm not going to go to them for provision. When my dad's like a multi-zillionaire. The richest. More rich than anything you could even imagine. Why would I go to these guys? When God will just give it to me. And then. The third thing that I'm definitely not going to look to this world for is for fulfillment. Fulfillment. 
they they can't give it. You know, there's this old song, I think it's a hymn, but at least it's an old Pentecostal song, that this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. You can't take my joy, because you didn't give it to me anyway. You can't, you can't take my peace, because it didn't come from you anyway. It came from heaven. You can't take that away. It's mine. And, and when I find my fulfillment in Jesus, Nobody can take my joy away, my peace away. Nobody, nobody can mess with that. Absolutely not, because they have no say so in it. God is where my fulfillment comes from, my peace, my joy, my everything. He's the one that gave it. You can't take that away from me. In fact, Jesus said that I'm going to give you joy. In this world, they can't take, they, they can't take the joy away from you. Jesus straight up said that. And so I'm telling you that if you have ever or are currently, whether you know it or not, maybe we, we hear these things. I would, I would never do that. But maybe upon closer examination of our lives, maybe we would say, well, you know what? I am looking to this world for fulfillment in this area of my life. You know, like a lot of single people, for example, you know, they're, they're looking for some person to fulfill that void. And I get it, man, that, hey, it's God wants, God wants you to have a good husband or wife. We, we get that. And, you know, I, I was blessed at a super young age. And so sometimes I don't understand the struggle. And I get that. But listen, no human being can fully bring you fulfillment. They can leave. They can die. They can turn real mean and nasty. We know this, but God has never turned mean and nasty on me. He's never died other than when Jesus died, but he came right back. He's never left me. He's never failed me, never, never, never forsaken me. But people have. A lot of people have. But I'm telling you right now that Jesus won't do that. I will not give another person the keys and the power to bring me fulfillment only god gets that right because he's the only one that we can fully count on amen that's the truth and so let's look at hebrews chapter 11 hebrews 11 every human you know you've heard this every human heart is a puzzle and there there's a missing piece to our hearts right and that missing piece is not in the shape of egypt it's not in the shape of this world it's a god shaped peace right and and we will never be fulfilled until we get that missing piece of the puzzle put into place and we leave it there and so hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 through 27 and uh you know we've kind of been talking about moses and the people uh, the children of israel and egypt and all this stuff tonight so here we are in the new testament hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 it says It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasure of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. I mean, I'm reading those verses that there brings tears in my eyes that Moses, when he grew up, he grew up a rich, spoiled kid in the palace. He was the king's grandson. He had every I mean, he had everything he could have wanted. But when he grew up, 
he didn't just separate from the family. He refused to even be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He wanted total separation from that lifestyle. He didn't want to be identified with Pharaoh, with the king, with the royal family. He wanted no piece of it. It says, but he chose not. Well, he was forced out of the house. He chose to identify and to and to hook up with God's people. And he, he would rather endure the oppression and the beatings and the ridicule than have all the treasure of Egypt. I mean, that, that's something to think about, honestly, right there, because I, I, I just if I got to be flat out, I, I believe that I know I know some Christians that if it came down on the line, hey, we could we could just I, I know you, you, you like your people over there. But think of all this you could have right here. I believe that I know some people that they if it was on the line, I think that they would choose the the fame, the fortune, the power, the prestige, the the billions that Pharaoh had to offer. But Moses said, you know what? No, I would rather be beaten out here with these guys because they're going to heaven than enjoy all that stuff. I don't want nothing to do with that anymore. And he completely separated from the royal family. And there was a price to pay. No doubt about it. There was a price to pay because when you leave Egypt, they're going to get mad at you. They liked having you around. They liked having slaves. They liked you doing their work. They liked having you be one of them. They liked it. They liked that control over you. When you leave, and maybe some of you in here, you haven't even fully made the separation yet. But I'm telling you right now, when you separate from the world, when you separate from Egypt, don't be surprised when they get mad at you. But it's worth it in the end. Oh, Moses found out it's worth it in the end, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. If you don't have a revelation of heaven, then this that doesn't make any sense to you. But when you know how real heaven is, you're totally fine with not having all the treasure of Egypt, because for one thing, heaven's treasure, it makes Egypt or or whatever any treasure in this world look like mere pennies. That's one reason, but also, man, to get to be in heaven, stand face to face with Jesus Christ. To look into the eyes of Jesus and go back over your life and, and reminisce. And he's going to say, oh, man, remember that time you did this? And I'm like, yeah, I remember. And, and then I, I look to you and you pulled me out, Jesus. I remember, man. You're going to look back. You're going to laugh. And, 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 and you're going to think of all the victories, all the maybe the heartaches he brought you through. And, and he had your hand, the things he carried you through. You really want to risk that for anything that this world could give you? No. There is nothing that planet earth possesses that is worth risking heaven over. No sin, no bribe, no, no, no pleasure. There is nothing in this world. You could offer me a hundred years of being a billionaire here. And I'd say, take it and throw it into the ocean, man. I'm not going to risk the next five billion years in heaven. And we know that it's endless. For a hundred years of fun down here in this place. 
And so verse 27, it says, It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Now that sounds obviously like an oxymoron. How do you keep your eyes on the one who is invisible? Man, Moses kept his eyes on the promises of God, on the word of God. He kept his eyes on the Lord. Even though, obviously, he didn't get to see him every day. Moses did have some pretty cool experiences that most of us won't ever have on this earth. But at the same time, he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. When at any moment. He could have sold out, gone right back to Egypt, and they would have cut him a check right there for $5 trillion. They would have, you know, come on back, man. We knew you'd come back. We were waiting. And some of you have even lately told me that they're waiting on me. My buds are waiting on me saying, you'll be back. We know you. You'll be back. And you're saying, there's not a chance in the world I'm coming back to that life. That was awful. I don't ever want to go back. I've got peace now. I can lay my head on the pillow at night and not regret what I did today. I can walk through the store and not look over my shoulder wondering who wants to take me out or wondering, I wonder if security is going to see this if I just put this in here. Listen, that's a great feeling to have. That's an awesome feeling to have that you can lay your head down at night like a champ. You can sleep awesome. You put Brother Hagen on YouTube, but anyway, you can sleep awesome all night long and have no regrets at all. It wasn't that way in Egypt. Wasn't that way. No, you may have had more meat. Maybe you had more money at that point in time. But listen, it was with a whole lot of sorrow. And I'm telling you right now that even though the devil may confuse your memories, even though the devil may uh, make things in the past look like, well, you had more than I'm telling you right now, compared to what God has in store for you, I hath not seen, nor hath ear heard, nor could any mind imagine the things that God has laid up for those who love him and for who know him. You've got better coming to you, whether you gave stuff up or not. Who cares? You've got better coming to you than what you ever had before. And so the kind of the last thing I want to bring it down to this again, preaching to the choir. I get this. But let me remind you of a few things and that sometimes this Christian life isn't always easy street. Because, well, I gave this up and, and, and I used to do this. And, and I'm telling you right now that Jesus never said it was going to be easy to, to really live the Christian life. To not just repeat a prayer after me, now go and party it up. No, to be a disciple is not Always easy. And I will not lie to people and say that it's super easy. That's a lie. It's not always easy. Let me just share a few quotes with you from the lips of Jesus himself. He said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is very difficult. Well, that's a bad confession. It's what Jesus said. I'm not making a bad confession. I'm just quoting Jesus right here. He said, the road is narrow and it's very difficult. And only a few ever find it. It's what Jesus said. He also said, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross 
and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And so there are things in the Christian life that we're going to give up if we're if we're going to really do this. There are going to be some things you're going to come to Jesus and he's going to say, man, I welcome you. You're going to have to leave that at the door. You can't bring that with you. I'm sorry. You, that, that can't come. What's up with that? They, in Egypt, they loved this stuff, man. They, they, said, they said that I was the best of this. Well, I'm sorry. This isn't Egypt anymore. We're going to the promised land. And we don't need that. You know, I, I've got better for you. And so I'm just reminding you. I'm reminding our internet crowd listening right now, especially listen to me. Sometimes this Christian walk, there are some things about it that are a little bit difficult. There are no, there's, I'm not lying that you've got to give some stuff up if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. No doubt about it. There are some things that you used to really like that if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to have to give it up. There are going to be some people that were super bad influences on your life that you are, they're either going to have to respect your new way or they're going to have to get cut out because I'm not letting them bring me down anymore. They live in Egypt. I'm going to the promised land. I'm crossing the Jordan River and stepping in to my promised land. And so make no mistake about it. Receiving Jesus as Savior, it is free. It's the easiest decision to ever make. But Jesus said, listen, hey, you're going to follow me. Listen, hey, the road is narrow and it's difficult and only a few people can take it. Only a few ever find it. That's a quote from Jesus. I repeat, I'm not making a bad confession here. Jesus said that. And so I'm not believing for difficulty, but I do know that sometimes it has been difficult to cut some things and some people and some of Egypt out. But I've never regretted it. Moses never regretted it. And I'm telling you right now, the only thing that Jesus is going to do when he asks you to give something up is because he's got something better. He's like, give me that old $5 bill you got there. Well, that's mine. I, I want it. But really, he's got a $100 bill he's wanting to hand you. Well, I, I, this is my favorite thing, right? No, listen, just let go and give me a minute, and I've got something to, ten times better than that for you, man. Just, but you, you're going to have to let that go before I can give it to you. And when we start to get this, we're saying, buy Egypt. I don't need you. I'm never coming back. You don't keep my number. Don't ever expect to see me again. I won't be back. You'll never see me again. Goodbye, Egypt. And as we make this separation more and more and more, God can really start doing stuff in your life. Moses gave up the palace. But man, he's the one of the only people to ever see God. He's one of the only people to experience the things he experienced. He gave up. It cost him. Oh, it cost him a lot. But what he got out of it was worth so much more than what he gave up. And I know you guys can say amen to that. And so we're going to kind of bring it in for a landing right there that I ain't ever going back to Egypt. I'm going on to the promised land and I'm saying goodbye to them. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.